Hello and welcome to another Lights, Camera, Sports podcast presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. I'm Mike Galtieri, welcoming you back for another week's podcast. Well, we have an exciting podcast here today as the sports director of Boston 25 News, Tom Lighton, joins us. Tom is a BC alum graduating in uh, 1994. And uh, as I mentioned, the sports director of Boston 25 News. So he came on podcast, and we had a nice conversation. He spoke about his time at the Heights, his favorite memories, and what he's doing now with news, and also what he thinks the football team, how they'll do this upcoming year. So it's an exciting podcast. Stick with us. We'll hear first from Chestnut Hill Technologies, and then go right into the podcast with Tom Light. I also like to remind everybody, if you want to advertise on the Lights Camera Sports podcast, just email Lights Camera Sports Ads, ADS, at gmail.com. That's Lights Camera Sports Ads at gmail.com. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Hello and welcome to the Lights Camera Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri, presented by Chestnut Hill Technologies. So happy to be back for another week here on the Lights Camera Sports Podcast. And we're lucky enough to be joined by Tom Lighton. Tom, welcome and thanks so much for joining us here on the Lights Camera Sports Podcast. Mike, great to meet you. You know, it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm absolutely pleased to be here. I had the chance to listen to your most recent podcast with Jim Nance and really enjoyed that. Some great stories and brought back some of my own memories. I was actually at that game, that BC-BYU game that Jim Nance was talking about where he got his job at CBS. I remember being in the stands and that was still in the heyday of Doug Flutie and Mike Ruth. They had just gotten out and I remember Robbie Bosco was the big BYU quarterback that year. And I was at that game at Giant Stadium funny how every game has a different memory for different people yeah no question about it when you know when i talked to jim too that day you could just see his eyes light up you're right you never know you know it's in a lot of ways a kickoff classic mid-august you know it's kind of like a a ho-hum game but uh you're right you never know i think that was the year either byu was coming off their national championship or that was the year they won the national championship one or the other i don't remember I don't know the focusing so much on BYU history, but yeah, no, they were they won eighty four, so they were just coming off you know Steve Young and uh, they were, they were still flying high back there, and uh, they, you know they beat BC. I think it was twenty eight fourteen that game. It wasn't a win. <laughs> he went to a kickoff classic later against Ohio State. I was at that game too, and that's when my eyes were open to just how monstrous the Ohio State alumni pool is. It's just it was such a huge wave of red and and silver in the. I was like, oh boy, we're outnumbered today. <laughs> well, hey, Tom, let's just take, no question about it, let's just take it back a little bit. Um, you grew up in Connecticut, and uh, just talk about, did you always play sports growing up? Were you always into sports? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I was a big football, basketball, baseball player growing up. And I have two older sisters, both of whom went to BC. My first older sister started going to BC in the fall of 1980. So I was still eight years old. She's 10 years older than I am. The first time I ever went up to Boston College. And it was just so different, as you can imagine, because this was really before Doug Flutie. And that was such a turning point for the university. To go up to BC on a football Saturday was so much different then 
than it is now. And I remember going back in the history books, we were there for Parents Weekend in 1980, and as an eight-year-old, my parents were with me, and they struck up a conversation with another set of parents who were so excited about, hey, we're here, it's the first time we're getting a chance to see our son play, and then my parents could talk to the wall and find out what year it was born. So like, oh, well, who's your son? And they're like, oh, it's Brian Brennan. <laughs> so Brian wow. Brennan was a standout receiver for BC in the early 80s, and then he went on to play for the Cleveland Browns for many years. So it was funny how my parents just randomly ran into his parents at the hotel there over the Mass Pike by exit 17 in Newton. And that was really our first exposure to Boston College football. And you know, that, that's funny. I noticed, too, you know, when I was at BC, a lot of times – you know, BC does do a pretty good job. You, these the student athletes really are students. You wouldn't even know a lot of times that they're athletes. You know, in a way, it seems like they do merge together pretty well. Where I know a lot of other schools, your athletes live together. They're kind of off on their own. Yeah, you make a good point. And what was also interesting about that running with the Brennan family is that you know I spent eleven years living in Michigan, so my television career took me out there. And all I knew about a guy like Brian Brennan and who followed him was Pete Mitchell was this random school out in Michigan called Brother Rice. And when I worked out there, I got to know the Brother Rice community and that, that school and the head coach who had been there for so long. And I touched base back with them and like, oh, yeah, well, I, knew, I went to school with Pete Mitchell and Brian Brennan went here. Like, oh, they're some of our finest. So, but as you get older, you'll find out the world gets smaller. <laughs> no question about it. Well, hey, Tom, let's, so what made you decide to go to Boston College growing up? Uh, what, obviously, you're the family connections, but uh, coming up from Connecticut, Westport, Connecticut, what made you want to go to B.C.? Well, it's funny. Ironically, it's not what you would expect because I remember there were seven years that passed between my sister Peg and my sister Patty. And when my sister Patty was applying to colleges, I gave her a hard time. I'm three years younger than she is. And I'm like, come on, Patty, you should have your own experience. Go to your own college. Why would you possibly want to go to the same school as your sister? And she ended up going to B.C. So she's a freshman, and I'm a sophomore in high school. And we go up for a number of football games. I think there was a game at... uh, the old Gillette Stadium, not even Gillette Stadium, the old Schaefer Stadium or Sullivan Stadium or Foxborough Stadium, whatever it was called at the time <laughs> in 1987. And I think they played Penn State that year there. And I did the math. And here was my sister, a freshman in college, and I was a sophomore in high school. I was like, wait a minute. She'd be a senior when I'm a freshman. I'm like, that might work out pretty well for me. <laughs> BC kind of went up high on my list. I spent a lot of time there during my high school years. And by the time I was a senior, I applied, and, and I got to give all credit due to my siblings because I was on the cusp. But I think the fact that I was the third of three and that we had that family history helped me out a lot. So hopefully I've given enough back to the university in the years since that have made up for them taking me in back in 1990. There you go. So you entered 1990. Just talk about the sports scene you know, back in the early 90s for yourself while you're undergrad at B.C. Oh, it was a great time, and it was a time of great change, because when I started in 1990, you know, Jack McNell was still the head football coach, and it was his last football season. And BC was, you know, floundering a little bit, and the stadium wasn't really filled up very much. It was a little bit like it is now, unfortunately, except for the biggest of the big games. And it was sort of the end of an era. And I was disappointed because I'd obviously rooted so much for the BC teams of the 80s who had enjoyed success under Flutie who had gone to some bowl games after that, and coupled that with the fact that the basketball team that year, that 1990-1991 year, they weren't very good either. Um, But what I loved about going to those basketball games is that it was the Big East, and I had grown up watching the Big East basketball. So whether it was a game against Syracuse or Seton Hall or St. John's or Georgetown or Villanova or Providence, just list them on down, 
I thought it was so amazing that here I was, a college kid, being able to go to these games and watch these games. And then over the course of those four years, the fortunes changed so dramatically because in that next season, my, my sophomore year, that's when Tom Coughlin took over as the head football coach and the, the aura surrounding the football program completely changed. And by the time we had become seniors, the football team was obviously very, very successful. My senior year, they went out and beat Notre Dame, which was one of the most epic games in B.C. history. And the basketball team got better and better every year. They went to the NIT when I was a, a sophomore and then again as a junior. And then by the time I was a senior, these guys, and there was a core four. There was Billy Curley, there was Howard Isley, there was Malcolm Huckabee, and there was Gerard Abram. They had come in as freshmen, and they were good, but they were getting their butts kicked. You know, they won one game in the Big East when they were freshmen. By the time they were seniors, they were really competitive, and they added Donya Abrams to the mix. And he was exactly what that team needed. You know, he was a big guy, he was muscular, he was kind of a tough guy, he provided the muscle and the paint, and he complimented what those four guys did. And they made that insane run to the Elite Eight that year, which was a little bit unheralded because they went into the tournament as a nine seed. They beat Washington State. They upset North Carolina in the second round, which got them on the cover of Sports Illustrated, which probably would have been good enough for most BC basketball fans. But then on that next Friday in the Sweet 16, they played, and I think if you ask any one of those five guys who started for the team, plus Mark Malinsky, who was the first guy off the bench, they played probably their best game they ever played on that Friday night in the Sweet 16 against Indiana. And they blew the doors off of Indiana. came out in the first five minutes. You can actually still watch the game on YouTube in its entirety. Yeah. And that first five minutes of basketball, some of the best basketball I've ever seen. So they win that game. They're hoping to get rematched against UConn, who they played two tight games against that year, and UConn lost to Florida. And UConn, I've heard great stories. They, when they saw BC win, they said, oh, that's our ticket punch to the Final Four because they felt that they owned BC that year because they'd beaten us. They had Donnie and Danielle Marshall who were leading their team. But they lost to Florida, and then unfortunately for us, Florida beat us in the Elite Eight, and they went on to the Final Four that year. But couple that run in basketball with the great season in football, and we actually won the Beanpot in February of 94, beating Harvard in overtime. So it was a pretty good trifecta that senior year. And, you know, what, what struck me in what you were saying, too, is how you said Tom Coughlin came in and really changed the program around with football as well during your time here. What parallels do you see maybe what Adazio could learn uh, from Coughlin in terms of, you know, just getting the program back on track uh, from where it is? Now, obviously not as bad. It's 7-6 and six last year, so not 3-9 and nine we're talking about, but just taking that next step uh, to, you know, a 9-3 type record. Yeah, I think it's so different, Mike, now. I, I do think that this year's team, my standard for this year's team is 8-4. and four. I, I think that this year's team, the 2017 Boston College team, should go 8-4. and four. I think they're in position to be an 8-4 and four team. And what that means is that, you know, you're going to lose games that you see on paper and say, yeah, we're probably not going to beat Louisville. We're probably not going to beat Clemson. It's going to be tough for us to beat Florida State. Maybe not Notre Dame. Who knows how good Notre Dame's going to be. But they're the games that you can't lose. You know, and these are the games that have become so frustrating for BC fans, I think, over the years. You know, you can't lose these games to Wake Forest. You can't go to Ireland last year and have the chance to beat Georgia Tech and change the tone of the season and lose that game. You know, those are those heartbreaking games that this program is at the point now where they really can't lose those games anymore if they want the season to be considered a success. Because you know you're going to be up against it, against these upper echelon teams. And then you know what? Maybe you pull off a big upset. You're fortunate this year that you got Florida State at home. You're fortunate this year that you got Notre Dame at home. Pack the stadium, do as much as you can to create an atmosphere that's tough to play in, and pull out a win. You know, that's what this school needs, and that's what we got 
back in 92 and 93. You know, I remember in 92, the BC football team went on the road and upset Penn State. And that was not expected by anybody outside the program. And I think that that's what it takes. It takes a win against a marquee opponent when it's not expected to sort of change the tone, not just inside the locker room but outside the locker room, where the expectations change and the excitement level grows. And all of a sudden, people are like, well, maybe this team can do something. I mean, when you were there, you, you know, the team made that great one with Matt Ryan. And I think that win they had against Virginia Tech on the road that Thursday night, that was the signature win. And you need a win like that to sort of define not just the season, but the program and point the direction it's going in. And you're right with that. You know, you talk about that domino effect. You know, after that win against uh, Virginia Tech on a Thursday night, as you mentioned, they went down and beat Clemson two weeks later to secure the ACC division title. So you're right. It has like a, a domino effect when you start winning and winning and winning. Uh, conversely, we start losing as well. It can go the other way, but uh, you're right. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Uh, uh, Tom, joining us here, well, talk about your undergrad years. Your, if you had to pick one moment, one sports moment, what sticks out to you during your four years at Boston College? Well, anybody in my era is going to go right to the 93 Notre Dame-Boston College game. And what's funny about it is that the year before, so many of us had made the road trip to South Bend, and we were undefeated at the time. Uh, we were 7-0-1, feeling high about ourselves. And we made the trip. I think we were ranked number 9. Notre Dame was ranked number 8 at the time. And their quarterback was Rick Meyer. They had Jerome Bettis in the backfield. They had so many amazing athletes who went on to play in the NFL. I, I'd love to count the Hall of Famers up and see who was on the field that year for the Fighting Irish, but we got pummeled. It was embarrassing. You know, BC lost 54 to 7. And not only did we get killed, but Notre Dame was faking punts in the third quarter when they were up 37 nothing. So it was, they stuck our noses in it and they kind of let BC know, like, you're not ready yet. And the guys, as they've attested to over time, and I've done interviews with most of the key players from that 93 team, that stuck out and that kept them together. So that next year they go back, and we had lost our first two games of the season, but then run off seven straight. So here we are, seven and two, getting ready to play Notre Dame. And so many of us back in Boston were like, oh, should we make the trip again? Should we go? We went last year. It was a long road trip. We got killed. And we're like, we got to go. So we made the road trip again, and it certainly paid off because they put together a fantastic performance, what was without a doubt the best performance that crew ever put together. And then when the kick went through after we'd blown the lead, we were up 38-17, and then they came back to take a 39-38 lead. And we got the ball back with just over a minute to go, drove down the field, trot out David Gordon, 41 yards. And, you know, it was the week after. This is a great little story about that game. It was the week after, unfortunately, a terrible stampede that had happened in Wisconsin. And so many students had been trampled as they had rushed onto the field. So the seats I was in that day happened to be student seats for Notre Dame because they had left because it was the week before Thanksgiving. So I was literally sitting in the front row of the Notre Dame student section. And so they take the lead, and all of the Notre Dame students come down towards the field, getting ready to rush the field because now they're going to complete an undefeated regular season, go play for the national championship. So I remember grabbing my buddy, Tom, and I said, we got to we got to back up, you know, don't forget what happened in Wisconsin last week. So we went back about 20, 25 rows and watched that final drive. 
and watched the kick go through the uprights. And I remember the moment of how everything changed, and all these Notre Dame students were now in front of us, and they had been preparing to rush the field. And I just looked at Tom, and he looked at me, and we said, let's go. <laughs> so we <laughs> our way between all the Notre Dame students and hopped on the field. And I'm sure you've seen the video of so many BC people on the field at Notre Dame celebrating that win. But so much changed in the five minutes prior to us being on the field. It was just an amazing, amazing experience. And that kick was kind of cool because right off the foot, you thought maybe it didn't have a chance, but then it kind of fell right back in through the uprights. And, you know, David Gordon, people forget, his father at the time owned the Hartford Whalers, the NHL, Richard Gordon. What was great about being at BC in that era was, and the uh, major that I had, being a communication major, a lot of those guys were in many of my classes. Pete Mitchell was in a lot of my classes. Glenn Foley had graduated, so it was his fifth year, so he was a grad student. But he was still around campus a little bit, but on a much different schedule. David Gordon was also in a number of my classes. In the week leading up to that game, I remember him talking to me very randomly about the fact, like, you know, I've never kicked off grass. You know, BC had not played on a grass field all year. Okay, yeah. So it was pretty interesting, and that's what was going through my head at that time. It's like, oh, God, you know, he hasn't kicked off grass. But if you look back at that game, he actually had a very solid game. He'd hit a field goal earlier in the game. He was solid on all the extra points. There was really no concern about it, but... Anybody who's really interested in some of the background of that game, I was able to talk to so many of the guys. I talked to Glenn Foley, Pete Mitchell, uh, Stephen Boyd, uh, who else? Pete, uh, David Gordon. I'm uh, missing somebody. Uh, and we talked specifically about that game and everything leading up to it. I wrote an article about it. You can Google it up. You can see it. It's called An All-Time Eagle Upset. That's all you've got to put into your search bar. And you can hear the backstories from each of those players. And they talk about this the snap, the place, and the kick. And it was amazing to hear Glenn Foley, who was the holder, talk about that. And David Gordon, who was the kicker, talk about that and his interaction with Tom Coughlin and the moments leading up to that kick. Just such a great, great memory for BC fans. Yeah, no question about well said, Tom. Well, you graduated in 1994, and then you worked four years, actually, uh, in New York, the NFL, and two years of the NHL. Just talk about that time period in your life uh, after graduation. Well, probably the most influential time in my life because my eyes were open so widely. There was so much about the sports industry that I knew nothing about. And so when I got out of school, I wanted to get into TV. I had a tape that was all put together. I'd been in the communication department at BC. I was part of Eagle TV, which at the time was put something on tape, make six copies of the tape, put a television in McElroy, put a television in Walsh, put a television in Lyons, and just hit play, let it play 10 minutes and rewind and hit play again. That was Eagle <laughs> TV at the time. So much has changed. But when I got out of school, I couldn't get a job on TV, and I, I randomly was connected with the director of publishing. His name was Tom Richardson at the NFL, NFL Properties, and he was looking for a secretary, Mike. I mean, in all honesty, I think I might have been the first male secretary in National Football League history. <laughs> it was such a great experience because what did I know about anything? I didn't know how to send out faxes. I didn't know how to book appointments, how to book travel, how to do conference calls. I learned a lot about making presentations in the business side of sports, and I'm still incredibly tight with so many people who I met during those first four years at the National Football League. And then when my boss, Tom, left to go to the National Hockey League, he took me with him, and I was there for 18 months. And at that point, I said to him, I'm like, all right, listen, this TV dream that I've got in the back of my head, I've got to go pursue it because I really want to see if I can do it. So I just quit cold turkey and started from scratch trying to find a job. And from there it began where 
I got a job in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which was fantastic because it was all about the local sports and high school football and basketball and even wrestling, which was so big in Pennsylvania. And we had Lehigh and Lafayette. And I was there for four years and then very fortunate to get the job at WXYZ in Detroit where I was working for 11 football seasons, 10 and a half years. And that's just another eye-opening experience because you're not only do you have the professional teams, which many of them enjoyed success while I was there, from the Red Wings to the Pistons to the Tigers, and of course NFL football is always popular. The Lions had their ups and downs, more downs than ups in the time that I was there. But you have the college stuff. And, you know, there were five Final Fours that we went to in those 11 years and three Rose Bowls that we went to in those 11 years. So it's a different vibe when you're in the Midwest than it is back here on the East Coast because the college sports don't have as big a hold on the uh, local sports interest as they do in the Midwest. Yeah, well, why do you think that is? That's interesting because you're right. Um, obviously, the Midwest, Big Ten country. But why do you think that is? Is it just the more pre- prevalent nature of the professional teams on the East Coast? I think the professional teams are so successful, and I think the college teams are so provincial uh, on a larger scale. I mean, first of all, the, there's not as many people who go to the schools. And each one of the schools, and there's so very many of them, have their own niche. I mean, if you go to BU, you're not going to root for BC. Yes. If you go to Harvard, you're not going to root for BC for the most part. So it's very difficult to get all these people. You can say there's a lot of colleges in Boston, but it's hard to get anybody who has these associations with the other local universities to all of a sudden hop on board and become a BC football fan. You know, it's just not like that. I just think for BC sports to succeed, you need a transcendent talent, a la Doug Flutie, which is once a generation, or you have to win so consistently that you demand attention. I'm not talking about one season in 2007 where you make a run to the AC championship game and lose. I mean, you have to win. And you have to win so consistently that people are forced to pay attention to you and are compelled to buy season tickets and make going to your games a part of their experience. And that's a part of the population that no college has really tapped into on the East Coast, particularly in Boston. And I think that just comes with everybody's got their own allegiances, and there's so many different colleges around there that, again, you're not going to hop those borders and root for another school. And, you know, how do you determine – you come right from the source. How do you determine what you're covering? Obviously, it's Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics, but uh, that secondary tier, uh, is it just really about winning? And uh, just talk about how you d- d- put together your broadcast. Well, I like to always find stories. You know, you want to find good stories, and it, it, so still, I think a lot of the schools are stuck in a, a, I don't want to call it a stone age because that's a little bit insulting and that's not accurate, but the concept, the very formulaic concept of we're playing Team X on Saturday, here's coach talking about Team X, and here's player talking about Team X, I think those days are kind of gone. There's not a lot of people who are, unless it's a big game against Notre Dame or Florida State where everybody's talking about it, you know, people aren't going to come to me to hear Steve Adazio talk about this week's matchup with Wake Forest. Now, it's just, I've got to be realistic about it. It's, on a Wednesday before a game, that's just not going to be headline news. But if I can get a really good story about somebody on that roster that tells a unique background that people may not know, that might make them more interested in the program, that's the angle I have to pursue. So I love it when a team like the women's lacrosse team makes a run to the national championship game and we can tell a story about Kenzie Kent. Or I love it when the hockey team is making a run to the Frozen Four again. And we can tell a story about one of the players on that roster because it's the personal stories that will really make somebody interested in watching your team. I'll tell you right now, more people were interested in watching that women's lacrosse team because Kenzie Kent was on it and the fact that she played both sports and that was her personal story. So the more any school 
can come up with a story like that that's beyond the boundaries of we're playing North Carolina State on Saturday and here's our coach talking about it. But give us something unique, give us something different that the general viewer can hop on and understand a little bit better. Yeah, that's well said. That's well said. Hopefully, you know, schools are listening to to you around the city uh, to get that attention. Because you only have, you know, talk about how, what's the average sports broadcast in, in, in local news? How, how many minutes do you have per night? Well, that's very different. I mean, you ask the question directly, a sportscast during the 11 o'clock news is only three minutes. But that's typically now where we're reaching our largest and richest repeat customer you know a lot of these stories are going to live online and yes. spread virally so you're trying to hit that unique audience that's going to have an interest in that and it's going to have some legs that way i mean who's staying up every night and looking at 1123 i'd like to say everybody but that's just not where we are nowadays so we in constructing a story have to think about exactly where it's going to live and where it's going to succeed is it going to succeed best on tv on a weeknight uh, is this something we should put on our more long-form Sunday night sports show where we have half an hour? Is this something that's really going to kick ass on Facebook? Is this something that's going to do well on our website? How's it going to do through your Twitter Instagram feeds? All of that has to be a consideration now. And, of course, you're leaning upon the community that you're dealing with, whether it be BC softball or you know Boston University hockey or Harvard basketball, whoever might be succeeding at the time. They kind of help you spread that story, too, because there are people who have identified themselves as Harvard basketball fans who you're going to try to target with that story when you're doing it online, digitally. So it's very different in terms of how you conceive this. I view a sportscast, particularly at the end of an 11 o'clock news, as what are you going to get from me that's different from anybody else? Really my style. So I hope that you're watching because you like me. And that's I'm trying to do things differently in an energetic way that make you feel like you're involved and a part of our family and a part of our newscast and just try to have some fun because at the end of the day there's so much bad news unfortunately that we put on our airwaves that by the time you get to me you're looking for a little entertainment so i it, i embrace that role and try to include my fellow anchors and just have some fun while i'm doing it while giving you the information you need to get and tom how, how do you like living you know coming from detroit how do you like so far you've been here a couple of years now but in the boston area have you enjoyed coming back to new england with your family I certainly have. And one thing, I'll tell you honestly, I'm so glad the Patriots won because what I didn't want to have happen is get here and then hopefully stay here for a long time and feel as though I'd missed the party. The train had left the station, you know, like, oh, those Patriots <laughs> teams that won all those Super Bowls wasn't that great. You know, I'm like, oh, my God, I got here after they had stopped winning. So to be around when they won another Super Bowl was really a relief more than anything else. I was like, oh, thank God. At least I was here when they won one of them because what happens is they just – pile up on top of each other and all these guys who you know you get a relationship with over the course of time you know they come back for the reunions and they come back for the celebrations and it's just good to know that you were there when they won that's a lot of fun i'd like to see the same thing happen with some of these other teams i think it's neat to be here as the celtics are building and improving and obviously getting hayward and that year after getting horford you, you can sense that excitement and you feel like you're going to be part of something big there and generally speaking i just love the area i mean who doesn't it's great to be back in new england and be a part of all the four seasons and be so close to all the other cities. That's the thing when you're in the Midwest. You're not so close to all these other cities. Here it's, you know, drop a dime, you're down in New York City, or hop on a train, you're in Washington, D.C. I find that to be great, that you're so close to so many different places. 
Well said. And, and last question before I let you go, Tom. What do you think of the new BC Athletic Director, Martin Jarmon, and how we uh, anticipate the summer going here as we enter the fall season for football? You mentioned earlier you think they want them to go 8-4. and four. Just what's your whole take now at the current affairs, uh, BC Athletics? Uh, Brad Bates was always very kind to me. I got nothing but kind words to say about Brad. He, he was here during a, a pretty tough time where we had to make uh, a lot of adjustments to the new conference and sort of get used to a new way of life because as much as people say that, oh, we should never have left the Big East, I look at them now and say, oh, yeah, well, what do you <laughs> want to do now? Like, no if you're question. not in the ACC, where would you like to be? Well, look at UConn. The Big East, as much as you love them, they're gone. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I love them too, but they're not there. They're, the days of nostalgia are gone. So he had to deal with a lot of that, and I have a lot of respect for Brad, and I think the way that the school treated Brad on his way out speaks to the respect they had to him. I also think that Martin brings this new level of energy, which will be very welcomed. And I like the fact, if by nothing else, I hope that he just walks around the office a couple of days and something comes out of his mouth and it just turns a light bulb on because he's experienced so many different things at bigger schools that have enjoyed success on the marquee sports, football and basketball most notably. And I think that stuff that he might take for granted may be stuff that hasn't been implemented here at BC. And you know, being out almost 10 years, and I'm now out almost 25 years, the game day experience has to be enhanced. And part of that is winning, but part of that is just a, a bit more of a welcoming feel when you come back on campus. And yes. that's just not for people my age or your age. That's for people of all ages. You know, everyone's got to feel like the experience of going to BC is par none. And we're not there yet. Yeah. So we've got to get that. We've got to build up the rivalries without question. And you only build up the rivalries by having really good games against these teams. You can say whatever you want particularly given how far away we are from all these teams, North Carolina State, Clemson, you know, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Maryland. Not going to come naturally. Well, Maryland's in the Big Ten now. But it's not going to come naturally. You've got to figure it out on the field, and that comes by way of competition. And I think he's got good energy, and I think he's going to inject some life. He's going to have a learning curve. He's going to get smacked in the face a couple of times. He's going to hit some roadblocks that he probably hasn't encountered at Ohio State and Michigan State. But I believe in his energy, I believe in his vision, and I certainly believe in his pedigree. So I'm giving him nothing but support, and I love the fact that they put out, for instance, a recent call to alums that if you want to be part of the committee that starts looking into the game day experience and how that becomes better, here's your invitation. We want to hear from you. We want you to be part of that committee. And I think that's a great first step because that will change the way people perceive going to BC on a football Saturday. Yeah, no question about it. And and Tom, you're right. It, you know, whether we like it or not, it's, at least it's an exciting time. We have some excitement on the heights as we head into the fall seasons. To be fun. I think these guys who we've been told are young for so many years are now not so young, and they should be in a position where they can start pushing some other guys around. They're bigger, they're stronger, they're more experienced, and hopefully they put together some good wins for us this fall. Well, Tom, thanks so much for the time and joining us here on the Lights, Camera, Sports podcast. It's always fun to you know catch up, talk some BC sports. Mike, I love what you're doing. I'm obviously an avid listener, and I look forward to hearing who you got next. Listen, you should just tap into all the guys who came through BC in my era. I, mean, I was on the radio with John Shomby. Uh, Bob Ushusen was there during my time. Joe Tessitore was there during my time. So we had a little heyday back in the early 90s, and a lot of us have enjoyed some success. So we get a kick out of seeing each other when we go to the stadiums. Yeah, that sounds good. We'll keep it going throughout the summer. Sounds good. All righty. Thanks, Mike. Thanks a lot. Chestnut Hill Technologies is a leading technology integration and cybersecurity consulting firm based in the Boston area and owned by a BC alum. 
CHT provides world-class strategy and consulting to Fortune 500 and mid-cap firms throughout New England and nationally, including State Street Bank, Amaj Pharma, and Intel Corporation. Check them out at chestnuthilltechnologies.com. That's chestnuthilltechnologies.com. Well, thanks so much to Tom Lighton from Boston 25 News for joining us here on the Lights Camera Sports Podcast. It's a lot of fun to catch up about BC Sports and to get his predictions. I'd like to remind everybody, we'll be back next week for another edition of Lights Camera Sports. Feel free to email Lights Camera Sports Ads. That's ADS, Lights Camera Sports Ads at gmail.com if you want to advertise or sponsor the podcast. Otherwise, we will see you again next week. Thanks so much for listening. This is the Lights Camera Sports Podcast. Mike Galtieri, signing off.